Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. This week, we're bringing you a classic episode where we talk about the novel Queen's Shadow, the appeal of foreign language music, and the podcast, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. Please enjoy. <laughs> Yay! Carrie, you just read this book that you really are excited about. Yes. Technically, I am not finished with it yet, but I am in the middle of it, and it's phenomenal. Okay, so it's a Star Wars book, and as we know, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is coming out soon, and I'm pretty pumped for that. I mean, you've watched Star Wars, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. have, you, have you watched the prequels? Yes, I've watched all of everything except some of the TV shows. Okay, great. Same. So, Queen Shadow is by E.K. Johnston. And it's a novel about Padme, who is one of my favorite characters. If you haven't watched Star Wars, she's a big character in the prequel trilogy. Um, so in the first episode, The Phantom Menace, she is Queen Amidala of Naboo. She's like 14 years old. And in that movie, Naboo is under attack from the Trade Federation. And she's a newly elected queen. And she has to kind of get her planet out of that mess and they run into lots of issues with that but one of the things that that i really enjoyed about that movie was she has this group of handmaidens around her and they play a big part in the movie i i don't want to spoil anyone well no i'm gonna spoil everyone okay so because <laughs> it, it plays a part in the book too but one of the things they the handmaidens do, they're not just handmaidens who like help her get dressed and stuff. They are bodyguards. And one of the handmaidens, whose name is Sabe, is actively a decoy for Padme. So they will switch places during dangerous times. And this book, Queen Shadow, is all about them together. It takes place between episodes one and two. So it, it explores the transition from Padme become, um, being queen of Naboo to um, her becoming a senator. And as a senator, she can no longer stay on Naboo. She's on Coruscant. And she has to deal with a lot of politics that she isn't used to because she wasn't dealing with people from other planets a lot. And it's just... Okay, so I love Star Wars. And I've loved it since I was like eight years old. And I really love that there's a ton of content now that because Disney bought it, they're just like pumping out stuff, which is, you know, we can talk about the ills of, of corporations all day. But one of the bonuses is that there is a ton of content now. And that is both good and bad because there's so much I'm not going to love every extra Star Wars book that comes out. Past couple I read were like, eh, these are fine, but not exactly groundbreaking or anything so i have this in print form in hardback and i'm also listening to it on audiobook because you know so i started this one i started out listening to it and pretty quickly i was like okay all right i am i'm on board with this and i don't know if that's because it's about padme and the handmaidens and i i'm really interested in them or if it's partly i'm sure it's it's that and it's E.K. Johnston's writing, and I haven't read a ton by her, but I did read a book called Exit Pursued by Bear, mm. which we all know is a fantastic stage direction yes. um, from Shakespeare. But that's a YA book about, well, it's about sexual assault, so it's it's tough. But I thought that was really well written, and 
I hadn't gotten a chance to read any more of her books until now. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I will go seek out more of her stuff. But anyway, I'm just going to try to go through some of what I like about this book a lot. And for the second episode in a row, I'm going to mention my friend Aaron, because we love to kind of tweet at each other about Star Wars and Schitt's Creek. <laughs> it's like all we talk about. If you're interested, sometimes I do like running commentaries of the books I'm reading on Twitter. So I have a big thread about this book as I go. And some of these ideas probably come from Aaron. So shout out to Aaron. All right. So one of the things I'm really interested in novels in general is just I really love when women are friends instead of rivals. So this book, there are six handmaidens to begin with, and then she gets two more as she transitions to Senator and, and some of the old handmaidens leave. I can't remember the exact number, but there's kind of a core group of women, including her handmaidens, including a couple of her guards, and they all get to work together. And it's just so fun to watch. Another thing that really struck me as I was reading it was, you know, with some books, I guess I'm just used to all these secondary characters being male. And with this book, they introduce a new character and like half the time it's a woman. And I'm like, oh, this is this is pretty cool. It's fun to see women being in all different kinds of roles. There's the guard whose name is Mariak and she's funny and I love her. <laughs> and but she's very in charge and like also defers to Padme a lot. And then they introduce Pilot and I don't know, it's just great to see women getting to do different sorts of things as someone who grew up with Star Wars and it being a very male heavy world. It's really fun to see that that it's becoming more inclusive in terms of of gender and race and sexuality and stuff. So that's really fun. Another thing that I love about it is is that it does flesh out the secondary and tertiary characters of of the movies. So for some reason, I'm really interested in that. I don't know how you feel about that, but sometimes do you ever watch a movie and you're like, that one character who had one line and like two scenes and was just in the background for a lot? They're really interesting. Oh, I would yeah. like to read a whole book about them. Yes, constantly. Constantly. Yes. Yeah, so this is that's part of what's really fun about this. It kind of in the same vein, Star Wars is such a huge universe, and it's really fun that a lot of different creators get to play around in it now. But it's expanding the world of Star Wars. So the, the core films are pretty amazing, and they're always going to be some of my favorite movies ever. But it's just a lot of fun to learn more about the world. And in this one, particularly, um, we learn more about Naboo and its customs and it's really interesting because I don't know if you remember in the first movie, there's a really distinct difference between Padme when she's Queen Amidala and Padme the Handmaiden. Yes. Well, yeah. And I remember that the Handmaiden was played by Kira Knightley and Padme is Natalie Portman. And I thought that casting was great because if the Handmaiden is acting as her decoy, those actresses look really similar. And I thought that was really cool. But also, yeah, the, her styling, her physical styling was completely different when she was the queen versus when she was the senator later. Yes, I do love that Kira Knightley was her double because they do look a lot alike. Because so Kira Knightley played Sabe, who is a big character in this book. So it's kind of fun to picture her in my head. <laughs> but Amidala also kind of has a persona. She has this deeper voice. She's always covered in makeup and has big robes and gowns on and stuff. And they talk a lot of, in this book about that 
and how they really crafted an Amandala persona. And and it helps with the decoy stuff because Sabe learns that voice too. So it's easier for them to, to mimic each other. But also as Padme is transitioning from queen to senator, there's like this whole scene where they, she and her handmaidens rework her public persona. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's really interesting because when she gets to the Senate, people kind of don't trust her because she's wearing fashion from Naboo and she still has the makeup on and everything. And they think that she's going to be more loyal to Naboo than she is to the Republic. So she goes through this transition of having to strip away some of that while still remaining true to to her homeworld. So she does little things like I, there was this one detail that was like, the dress from far away looked like any other dress looked like it could have been, you know, made by a machine. But if you got closer, you could tell it was hand stitching. And that was a nod to Naboo. I just think little details like that are really interesting. And the whole idea of identity and who we are and how how much we have to give up to fit in and how much we still want, want to honor where we came from. I think that sort of stuff is really interesting. And then just because Padme is one of my favorite characters. I mean, she's shown in the films to be really smart and and resourceful. And she's shown that to be that here too. And yeah, it's really cool to spend more time with one of my favorite characters. They're not perfect. They they make some mistakes as a group and individually. And I love that they they grow and learn from that. Like the first time they pulled a decoy move, they don't tell the captain of their guard. And he's like, what the heck, lady? <laughs> And then the next time they decide to do it, they they have their whole team involved. And it's I think it's just a really intelligent, fun book. And it's giving me a lot of feelings. <laughs> and I'm going to as soon as I finish it, I'm probably going to go rewatch The Phantom Menace because I think I'll look at things a little bit differently and it'll be fun. Cool. Well, that sounds really good. I might I might try that out or at least recommend it to people who I know read a lot of Star Wars novels. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. So now that I've rambled a ton about about this book, I want to hear about what you've been doing lately, which in particular is listening to some foreign language music. Yeah. So I've done this for years off and on. There's, there's several different foreign language bands and musical artists that I kind of like. But recently, I was really in the mood to listen to this one album that is partially in German, and I found it on Spotify, even though I own the CD, but going and getting a CD these days is like, that's so much work. But anyway, so I'm like, oh, let's just see if it's on Spotify. And it was. And so I made myself a playlist of it, and then it recommended, you know, similar things. And that got me into this making this playlist that was mostly German and French early 80s new wave music. And I thought, okay, this will be really irritating for my husband to listen to, which of course it was. But it just got me in a kick of like listening and thinking about foreign language pop music in particular, generally. So I first want to kind of talk about a couple different artists that I like. Nana was who I was looking for. And she's a singer. And she had a band that was also called Nana. So people just kind of assumed that it was just this one woman, but she it was more of a band. But she's um, German and she was best known for the song 99 Red Balloons, which in German was Nine and Nine Seeschluftballons. Um, <laughs> I do not really speak German, so that's not very good. But 
Uh, she's got a really cute voice, and she kind of reminds me of a German Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders, because they actually kind of look alike. But her music is considered sort of post-punk, new wave. She was mostly popular in the early 80s, uh, mid-80s. Uh, but in Germany, she kept going and released a ton more albums and is still popular. And that the thing that's funny about that is that an artist who in the States we think of as, oh, a one-hit wonder... If they're a foreign artist, that they're in a home country, they continue on and are not just a one-hit wonder. So I think that is really cool. And I would recommend if you like 99 Red Balloons, you should actually check out the whole album that that's from because there's a ton of really cute songs on there, both in German and English. And I think she even has a couple songs in another language too, but it's really beautiful. Um, it's almost kind of gothic in some of its style. Ooh. And I think that singing that kind of music in German is especially kind of evocative and beautiful. And we don't always necessarily think of German as a very pretty language, but when you hear it sung, I think it can be really pretty. But some other artists that I was also listening to a lot of were Plastic Bertrand. He is a Belgian artist who sings in French, and he's best known for the song called Sa Plan Pour Moi, which is in a ton of commercials. It's very bouncy. It's from a similar time period. And he mostly is kind of also new wave. But there were some songs that came up for him that I'd never heard before, including he has a song about Jacques Cousteau, which is ridiculously catchy and reminded me of Baby <laughs> Shark. Is I, tw I think I tweeted and Facebooked about this when I heard it. I was like, okay, this is now stuck in my head and enjoy it because it's going to be stuck in your head now too. So... <laughs> If, if you do nothing else today, look up the song Jacques Cousteau by Plastic Bertrand because it is hilarious. And I do speak French, but not super well. But it's such a simplistic song that I was like, oh, this is a really dumb song about like, there's stuff about going to the bottom of the ocean and all the different fish that you see. And just it's really silly. <laughs> and I think that children would love that song. I'm in the midst of looking it up right yeah, now. Shit, it's really, it's really funny. <laughs> I don't know that there's a music video for that one, but there should be. It should just be all fish. But to kind of get back, he's mostly a novelty act, I would say. Even the song Saplan Pour Moi, even though it's kind of famous, the title literally translates to This Life For Me, and the whole song is a little bit nonsense. It's kind of just designed to sound peppy and upbeat, but it doesn't actually mean really anything. But that, I kind of love that about it. It's such a whimsical kind of thing. But then some more serious artists that are less silly than him um, that I also like. Jacques Brel is another Belgian singer who sings in French. He's actually died, but he was mostly popular in the 1960s. He took the musical Man of La Mancha, which is set in Spain, but written in English, and he translated it to French and then starred in it. And so he's got a complete French language version of the Man of La Mancha soundtrack. And he also does a lot of really like kind of sad torch songs and the way that he and i mean they're beautiful they're beautiful but he looks very sad and and you just get this like oh you're alone in the french cafe and everything's kind of sad and terrible and it's just very it's raining outside and your coffee's going cold yes and you're wearing your little sad black beret and it's just it's it's very much 60s french cafe music and i love it for that and his voice is very deep and smoky and mysterious and stuff. <laughs> and then another one who's similarly a little bit more serious is Sylvie Vartan. She's a French Bulgarian singer singing in French, although she does sing in English a little bit too. She mostly also does what's called the French chanson style of kind of torch songs. Um, although she also will cover 
poppier songs. Like I think she has a cover of Sloop John B randomly, which is kind of silly. But she's also got kind of a low, smoky voice. She reminds me a lot of the German singer Nico. And randomly, she's the aunt of the actor Michael Vartan, who is best known for being on Alias and in, I think, Never Been Kissed. Um, and I think a couple other films. He's French-American and she's French-Bulgarian, so they have quite the international family. But her voice is just lovely. And then, like, if you want something a little harder, I always like the German band Rammstein, uh, which is kind of like quasi-industrial music. They use the German language to its most kind of guttural effect, and it's it, it's pretty fun. Another another German band I like a lot is Kraftwerk, and they're more electronic, and they don't always even sing, but when they do, it's often in German, and it's because it's electronic music, it's a little bit more like the language is almost symbolic. It's just for the sound of it, not so much for the meaning of it. And I know that I'm not really into this type of music, but I know it's very, very popular is K-pop, Korean pop music, where the bands will sing in multiple languages and they'll have multiple versions of the same songs. And they're hugely popular in the US, all over the world. And I think that that's pretty neat. But yeah, I mean, there's just there's just a ton of music that if you open your mind to other languages, we don't always think about crossing the language border when it comes to music. But if you do, you're going to be in for some really neat stuff. What's your kind of experience with foreign language music? Well, probably my first conscious introduction to it was when I was in Kazakhstan for the Peace Corps. So there was a lot of Russian language pop music on the radio, which is fun. And my Russian teacher gave me um, some Russian language music. And some of it's cool because it's like I have a Russian version of uh, Lady Gaga's paparazzi. Oh, wow. And, yeah, I know. And like, I don't think it's Lady Gaga, but but like, it's still fun to, to kind of hear. And and then I have some some music that's not American that's in the Russian language. So that's, yeah, it's fun. Sometimes I just put it on and it's kind of neat to try to figure out what they're saying. I've lost a lot of my Russian, which is sad and I should pick it back up again. But um, I do kind of the same thing. I listen to a lot of Becky G. I don't know if you know who she is, but she's a singer who sings in both English and Spanish. So I kind of view it as a way to broaden my horizons a little bit. Just the other day, actually, I realized that I kind of missed listening to stuff like that. So I brought up, I have a, an album from a Kazakh band called Ulatau. So the internet describes them as a Turkic neo-pagan instrumental folk metal trio from Kazakhstan. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty cool because you have more traditional instruments like the dombra, the Kazakh dombra, which is a two-stringed lute-like instrument. And then they combine it with electric guitars and it's just kind of fun to listen to. And they have some original, I think, original songs. But then they they will do, I guess, their folk metal rendition of, like, one of the Four Seasons songs. So, like, more traditional uh, Western classical music. And then uh, I mentioned the Dombra. When I was in Kazakhstan, I, I tried to learn the Dombra. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't bring it back with me because I had a lot of crap to take home and I had like one week to to pack it all up um so i'm still kind of on the lookout for dombra but um there's some traditional kazakh music and i don't think there's like a lot of it available to buy i've seen a few 
CDs on Amazon when I was browsing the other night, but I, I found a couple of playlists on Spotify, which is pretty cool. And it's, it's kind of folky music. It's a stringed instrument. So it's, it's that kind of sound. I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, it's sometimes it's nice to, to just listen to something that's a little bit different than the norm, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I want to also give another plug to a, another band that I neglected to mention earlier. One, and I think you've listened to them a little bit, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but Gogol Bordello, which is a US band that has international members are from all different countries. And they base their music on Romani languages and culture, which I think is really cool. And so they sound like on the surface, they sound like they're singing in English with a Russian accent, but that's not really, that's not really the actual <laughs> thing. But um, I've seen they were featured in a couple movie soundtracks that I really liked, but they're very weird and different. And I think their instrumentation sounds kind of similar to what you were talking about with the Kazakh bands. So I think you if you haven't already listened to them, I think you would like them because they're, I think they're, a lot of their members are from that kind of area of the world. So that's cool. I hadn't heard of them. So. Okay. I just looked them up. I've got like five tabs open with all of the music you've been talking about now. <laughs> well, and I think this reminds us that we need to make our, our podcast Spotify playlist, which we will put in our show notes once we have that constructed with a lot of the, the music that we've been talking about for multiple episodes. Yeah, I'm excited to do that. Yeah, And so like we talked about some of the cultural benefits of listening to foreign language music, but I want to mention some of the linguistic benefits too. Because if it's a language that you kind of know a little bit, it can really help depending on how the how the singer enunciates, it can actually really help reinforce your language learning. I was listening to a lot of Jacques Brel when I was taking a college French class. And I, I ended up having to do a report on him for that class. And one of the things I mentioned in my little report, this is so many years ago, was that um, his enunciation is very clear. And because he sings very slowly... It's it's okay. very easy to kind of, even if you have rudimentary French, to understand what he's saying. But it's always also a thing where you can translate lyrics yourself. I haven't so much done this with music, but I did this. I did an experiment years ago. There was even a hot minute when I was a French major. So I don't remember as much as I should, but I but I was a little bit more into the French language than, than just surface interest. But I took a short story by Guy de Maupassant. And I actually translated it. I translated it into English. It was. It took me forever, and I did it very, probably poorly. And I did a lot of dictionary help. But it was a really good exercise in showing me how to do translation. But doing that with song lyrics would be a lot less of a, you know, chore and something that you could do very easily. Same thing with like a poet, a poem in a foreign language. That's true. That's a good idea. I have a couple kids' books in Russian that I started to do that with. But even those were a little bit long, even when I was pretty, not fluent, but pretty practiced yeah. in the language. So yeah, a song would be a good length. Yeah. And then the other thing is that if it's a language that you don't know at all, or you are not really listening to it to understand the lyrics very closely, it's, I like to listen to music while I work, but I sometimes find vocals distracting but I don't always only want to listen to instrumentals. So having vocals that are not going to distract you while you're multitasking, I have found it's a good use of that is, is finding foreign language music that you're not going to be as constrained by listening to the content of the lyrics. So, yeah. Um, and I heard you laugh when I said Guy de Maupassant. Yeah. <laughs> 
because it's your well it's not your accent but i was just i've been told in the past and i know that any language i speak my accent is very very american so i was just imagining myself saying that oh guy de ma passant see that was that was perfect good job <laughs> thank you <laughs> so we we kind of discussed some some other uh things you can listen to but something we've both been listening to is a podcast we both listen to this podcast called the case of charles dexter ward and we both <laughs> liked it a lot right we did yeah it's a podcast from the bbc and it is based on a short novel by hp lovecraft and since you have read the novel, KW. Do you want to give us a little bit of background? I'll give you a little bit of background. Yeah, it's been a while since I read it, but it's a it's a fairly short novel. H.P. Lovecraft mostly wrote short stories, but he did write this one novel. Similarly to Edgar Allan Poe, he was mostly known for short fiction, but then did write one novel. This was written in 1927, but it wasn't published until 1941 or 43. There was an abridged version published in 41, and that was after he actually died. So it's not, even though it's, you know, this famous author's one novel, it's also not as well known. The fact that it didn't come out until after he was dead kind of made it not as popular. But essentially, it's about a Charles Dexter Ward is a young man who disappears from a mental asylum. And the whole book is kind of trying to find him. Um, It's kind of based on a real house in Rhode Island that Lovecraft was familiar with that was kind of a spooky house. And it does have stuff in it about the Cthulhu mythos. So it is connected to his other work. And there have been some film adaptations of it over the years, but not super well-known ones. This BBC podcast that was from 2018 is actually one of the more, I think, famous at this point adaptations of it. So the podcast itself is produced by the BBC, but it's not like a straightforward reading of the real story as it was set and how it was set. They adapt it quite freely. It is set in present day, so it's set in the 2010s. And in terms of the format, it's actually it's a series of episodes, but it's designed as if it is a real true crime podcast. And I think that's actually what attracted me to it when you told me about it, um, because we both enjoy true crime podcasts. And sometimes, I don't know how you feel about this, but so with true crime, sometimes it, it frustrates me because there is no answer. And sometimes it makes me uncomfortable because these are real people we're talking about and real terrible things that have happened. So the fact that I could get the format of a true crime podcast without any of the kind of uncomfortable stuff that comes with it because it was fictional that really attracted me to it so i i think i listened to like four episodes in a row to begin with and it it really kind of kind of pulls you in yeah it's very suspenseful it really pulls you in it feels really real i also felt like even though i knew the whole time that it, it was fiction i knew the source material the performances of most of the people on it come off really natural. Mm-hmm. Even when they're doing kind of an info dump, there's an episode where there's like a professor who's relaying all this background about like ancient religions and stuff. And instead of some podcasts that have a similar conceit or concept, 
those kind of characters and moments can come off a little stilted. But I remember listening to that thinking, I have literally sat next to professors who pontificate about their areas of interest in a good way, in a good way. And they sound like this sounds very natural to me and sounds really realistic. And I don't know if they improvised some of it, but it, it doesn't sound very scripted or rehearsed. Yeah, it came off very natural and extemporaneous. And I like that better than having it be super scripted. Right. I actually really liked that episode. I didn't think I would because he kind of, so Matthew and Kennedy are the main hosts of the podcast. And Matthew, I think that's episode seven or something out of 10. And a whole bunch of stuff has happened. And you're kind of starting to put together the pieces, but you're not quite there yet. And at the beginning of the episode, Matthew is just like, hey, I sat down with this professor because I'm totally out of my element. And <laughs> she's just telling me about all the history that is relevant to this that we all need to know. And at first I was like, oh, this is going to be an info dump episode. But yeah, I I honestly really liked her character a lot. Um, and I wish she had popped up again later. Yeah, it was a good episode. Yeah. It, was, it was a good use of the device. Yes. I think that sometimes when you have to convey, and this is true in a novel, in a short story, in a TV show, in a, in a fictional podcast, in all kinds of format um, and types of fictional media, you have to convey certain things to your audience that there is only a limited number of ways to do it. Because I know the adage is always show, don't tell, but Honestly, sometimes it's more expedient to do a little bit of telling, but if you can do it in a way that feels organic to the medium, then that's great. And so for a show that could include interviews, that was the perfect way to do it. Yeah, that was neat. And there's a lot of like, I like the, the fact that, I don't know, they play a little bit with the with the uh, format of a true crime podcast and do things that would make sense for a true crime podcast to do remote recordings, um, found audio files. It's just like, it's very well constructed. So highly recommended. Yeah. And I do want to add that. uh, So KW talked a little bit last podcast about HP Lovecraft and him being a giant jerk, (laughs) Um, a giant xenophobic jerk. So one of the things that I actually sort of enjoyed while I was listening to it was they really did update it. They updated it in the time, but also just from some of the character names, you could tell that the world was more diverse and it just seems like a little like F you to HP Lovecraft, <laughs> which I enjoy. <laughs> so I love when old things that are outdated get updated for the 21st century. Yes. Cool. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. I finished it. KW has one. I have one episode left. And I can't wait to hear what you think about the last episode. (laughs) I think I've been spacing it out because sometimes it it's a little bit scary and sometimes I make the mistake of listening to it while driving alone at night um, (laughs) or running alone or like all kinds of like dangerous alone activities or whatever. So I need to like wait till people are home and I'm not by myself and it's sunny out or something. (laughs) It's very, it's very creepy. Yes. It is great and if you guys have any similar podcast suggestions i'm always looking for for stuff like that i prefer even though we do a weekly podcast i kind of prefer the more limited series like the case of charles dexter ward so i'm open to suggestions 
I'm just going to do a quick plug to you for one yep. that you would like um, called Homecoming, which later okay. got adapted into an Amazon original series with Julie Roberts. It started as a two season limited podcast starring Catherine Keener and. Um, Ooh, I like Catherine Keener. David, oh. David Schwimmer. Oh, OK. Did not expect that. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> why it took me forever to like find his name because I he doesn't normally do drama, but it is a drama about uh, a woman who is running a transitional facility for military veterans who have PTSD and they get a special kind of mental health therapy that she starts to discover nefarious things about. So neat. It's very I, cool. I just downloaded the first episode. Enjoy. Thank you. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And if you'd like to email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. Thanks for listening. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>